All right, Phil, question for you. Yeah. Which UW football storyline are you most disappointed you won't get to see play out this fall? Um, hmm. Do we have a quarterback yet? Is and is Jake Browning still there? <laughs> it's uh, it's Cody Pickett's job to lose, actually. So, oh, okay. Um, um, no, I, I, I would say. Let me see. Here's a better question for you. You should have asked me to really, if you wanted to, like embarrass me on my UW football knowledge. You should have asked me to name one player on the UW football team because <laughs> I truly don't believe I can do it. Na- name a. Uh... Let's see. Name a Philadelphia 76er. Oh, that one's easy because he's such a famous personality. Joel Embiid. Okay. Uh, same thing for the Detroit Pistons. I could not name a Detroit Piston player. Chauncey Billups. Uh, okay. Yeah. Your, your, your non-baseball mind is just frozen in 2005. And that's, yeah. <laughs> I've, I forgot to, um, to point this out in the last couple of podcasts, and I, I meant to do it in both of the, the yellow hydro sections, is that uh, for anyone listening who is impressed by the, the stuff you're pulling out, it is proven to me that there, there are no notes in front of you. You are using your phone to look at me there's 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 no anything there's no, there's nothing written down this is just all story but you also have to understand that like my life outside of work especially now with this quarantine is simply my routine is go to work go home either go work out go on a run whatever but like all the free time i spend is simply digesting like statistics and facts about the mariners because that's like something that actually gives me a lot of solace and like helps me cope with all the stuff going on in the world. It makes the world feel smaller to me when I can just zero in on like little statistics like that. So that's what it's all in the brain, but that's where that comes. We appreciate it. I'm stuck in uh, my attempt to be a generalist, the, uh, the old master of none here, but uh, that's why, that's why we work. So it's a, it's a good combo. Uh, The the astute among you might have noticed that we did not record last week. Phil had a, uh, a work emergency to attend to, but we are back this week. Um, Interesting last couple of weeks, I'd say, for the M's. Um, we'll, we'll start talking about the, the starting pitching staff, which has had uh, a couple more rounds around the rotation since we last spoke. Um, let's do a quick nugget on all these starters. I think since we talked, Kendall Graveman's neck issue has, has popped up. We've talked about him. So the five starters not named Kendall Graveman. Uh, starting with Mark Gonzalez, what have you seen in the last two starts, which have been um, two really, really solid outings for him? I mean, that's just Marco, right? That's that's what he does. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. He doesn't get a lot of swings and misses, but he's com- constantly in the strike zone. He's competitive with every at bat. And I, I wanted to actually, I, before we spoke about this, I wanted to um, ask your opinion on something with Marco Gonzalez. I've been looking at the Mariners, and I'm looking, and this is something we've talked about and projected into the future quite a few times. That realistically. This Well, we know this is probably not a year for the playoffs. We know next year might not be a year for the playoffs. We're realistically looking at 2022 to become, like, the real competitive window, like the real, like, if we're not in the playoffs, heads are going to roll type of window. Um, And you look into the farm system, and you have guys like Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Emerson Hancock, and then you even look into the major leagues. You have Justice Sheffield. I'm a little colder on Dunn, but we'll get to him in a second. Mm -hmm. And then you have Yusei Kikuchi, uh, Graveman, and then you have 
also obviously the whole free agent pool. Exactly. At what at what point do you feel like Marco Gonzalez is an expendable piece? And I only say this because for a long while, me and you had spoken about Mitch Haniger and our desire to trade him while his value was at the apex. I wonder if right now would probably be the best time to trade Marco before we see, God forbid, something like that happens to him where he, you know, tears a rotator cover if he needs Tommy John, but those are realistic possibilities. And right now Marco is at the height of his value. And not to mention that this year with the expanded playoff field too, that there's a lot more teams that can convince themselves that this mm-hmm. year's trade deadline, that they are contenders and that they are one, um, you know, near ace, uh, middle of the rotation guy away from making a push. And that's why Marco is so valuable. There's not a single team in the MLB where he couldn't be on a playoff rotation. He's not the number one or the two for a lot of teams. Yeah. Like, uh, let's say the Astros, they have Granke and, and McCullers, or maybe even – maybe he would be the two. I don't know. Maybe he's better than McCullers. But he's at least the number three. You know, so he is on a playoff rotation. So that and you know obviously in the playoffs you only need three for those who won't follow baseball as closely in the playoffs you only need three guys to start generally because you get an off day in between each game allow your starters to rest on their regular five day uh, five day regimen but I'm I'm just wondering because he would be at least a three on most of those teams there's going to be a lot of value for him in the marketplace this year and he almost becomes redundant with. Again, remember the acronym TIN STOP. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect. But he almost becomes redundant with the wealth of talent we have in the minor leagues. I'd be willing to bank that we could get five guys almost equivalent to Marco Gonzalez by the year 2022. It's a great point. And even thinking of, of, of what, uh, what Jerry DePoto has said times is that they want to run with a six-man rotation again next year. And if that's the case, then are you running with this exact same six-man rotation? Um, you know, Taiwan Walker might, might have uh, – this might be his last as a Mariner. Uh, you know, unclear with the agreement situation, but it seems like he'll be back next year barring health. So if you want to bring up Logan Gilbert, if you want to throw some more arms into this rotation – their room for that and and Kikuchi is is around for another year so I think it's it's going to be something where they're going to get calls um uh, most definitely about him if Graveman can come back healthy I think that that's another name that that might get um might hear about but I know uh, it's only been two stars for Graveman but he's already showed a lot in terms of uh the uptick and stuff and and just the general pitchability of a guy like himself yeah, the Mariners have a, a lot invested in, in Marco Gonzalez, almost from like a emotional capital perspective. You know, he's he's kind of the ace of the staff. Seems to be a a personality that the organization favors. Um, he's a great guy. Obviously, I've gotten the chance to talk with him. And speaking of that, uh, I wanted to bring up the point that when when I spoke with Marco or before I did, you told me to ask him about the cutter that he had added at the mm-hmm. end of the 2018 season that that had started to become more of his repertoire. Uh, and now that's a pitch that's up to, I think, in the second start he had this year, 30% of his pitches were that cutter. And that's a new pitch for him. And he was throwing it to great success. So um, clearly a guy who, you know, if you give him the tool, he will work towards it and, and build on it because he's just – he's wired a little bit differently. And that seems to be something that the um, pitching development program really favors with lefties, especially soft-tossing lefties. They really love to see him throwing like a somewhat hard cutter. 
Mm -hmm. And I don't know for whatever reason, but they've found that maybe analytically that's a pitch that hitters are a little less uh, well-equipped to deal with. So, and for Marco, it's obviously translated to great success. He was, you know, when he came over to the Mariners, and I remember there was a big uh, sort of uh, hand-wringing because at that time, Tyler O'Neill was the number one prospect in the, albeit weak farm system, but he was still the number one prospect. And uh, it turned out, at least for the Mariners, um, to be something that, that really did work out. Yeah, it's, it's um, something to keep an eye on as we get – I don't even know what the trade deadline situation is based, based off August, of – August 31st this year. It will come fast. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this might, this might um, get a little heated here in two podcasts. We'll be talking about potential trade deadline guys. So, mm-hmm. uh, if Marco keeps it up and, and he continues to almost pitch above his weight – uh, that that you're gonna see that that thought of wow this is this is peak value here can we can we flip this for an asset um, in a shortened season if we make it that far uh, to uh, to Yusei Kikuchi who had a, a horrible first start that we talked about uh, a much much better second start I think that was probably the one of the best um, outings we'd seen from him he has basically just swapped out his splitter in his entire repertoire for this like cutter slider um pitch that that has, has and been again it's before. it's the cutter for him a lefty and that's something that the mariners are just drilling into all their lefties just almost like with i know everyone talks about the pirates and how bad they were at pitching development um because you know you use garrett cole as their famous example he leaves Houston or he leaves pittsburgh and he goes to houston and becomes the garrett cole we know today and pittsburgh had this sort of set steadfast philosophy about lefties have to pitch inside lefties have to pitch inside blah 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 but you're seeing different little quirks with each pitcher development program around what their philosophy is with their pitchers Mm -hmm. yeah and and one of the things that that uh, the m's have have emphasized with kikuchi is is building up that uh that velocity and and i think Mm -hmm. through two starts uh at you know saris on on twitter had pointed out that uh kikuchi's uh velocity increase on his fastball was at two and a half, 2.6 miles per hour greater than, than the year before was the second highest change in baseball. Um, 2.6 might not sound like a lot, but it is a ton from one season to the next. And And go ahead. It backed down a little bit in his third start. So, so that number um, is is probably a little off, but just to have those early returns um, shows that, you know, he was the task of, of get stronger, throw harder and, and it plays up to the overall repertoire as well. In Kikuchi's last start, which was, I believe, the second start um, from just a box score perspective, was actually better, so to speak, than his third start, um, if right. I remember correctly. Well, but yeah. his his third start, he actually had more swings and misses. He generated more, uh, you know, called strike threes. He did all that stuff with that extra velocity. It makes the rest of his repertoire play up, and it. Does, and again, all that doesn't really matter if he keeps getting bit by the walk bugaboo, which he's had for, you know, the control issues where they seemingly come and go. But it looks like he's starting to tamp that down a little bit, too. So all those things in conglomeration with one another could make for a really interesting pitcher going down the stretch. Yeah, and again, true. it's worth mentioning that the Mariners can, if they so desire, exercise. They, If you remember, Kikuchi has a weird sort of, um, sort of uh, contract where – after three seasons, and this will be the second season, obviously, after three seasons, he can opt into a uh, one-extra-year deal or the Mariners can opt for a four-year deal 
or neither side can opt after year three and he can become a free agent. So there's a, it's a weird deal, but either way, if the, he pitches as well as the Mariners hope he can, the Mariners can lock him down for seven years, and that's the bottom line. Yeah, and I think through through three starts, we've seen a little bit closer. You know, the the this third start probably wasn't what you would accept as a, as a great outing or a good outing from him. The, the second start was a phenomenal outing. So somewhere in between, if we can get to that consistently, mm-hmm. um, this is this is a, a nice reclamation project for a guy we were worried about as as early as two weeks ago. Uh, Tywin Walker has had um, a rough first start, rough third start, but that second start really strong. Um, he, let's see, 55% of, of his pitches were thrown for strikes in that second start, uh, down to 38% for the rest of the year. So I think it's as simple with him is can he get ahead? Can he uh, just have control in, in counts that he can get to his, his off-speed stuff uh, and, and hurt you that way? He's, uh, he's, not, he's definitely not the young uh, Taiwan Walker that we used to see in Seattle. Remember yeah. pumping uh, 98 miles an hour with, you know, filthy off-speed stuff. With, that, with really bad command. That was why he got shipped out to Arizona. He just couldn't command the strike zone. Now we're seeing a guy who can command the strike zone a little better, but, you know, through the shoulder surgery and the elbow issues and all of that stuff, he's lost five or six ticks off the fastball, so he's going to have to be a little bit more pinpoint perfect. And I, the jury, let's just put it this way, the jury's still out on whether or not that can happen. I'm leaning towards he's not a piece going forward. Uh, just from the history that I've seen and, and, and what I see, you know, I test it. But uh, he'll, he'll be an interesting guy to watch going forward to see if he can start to uh, locate the ball a little better with a little bit more consistency than what he's displayed in the first three starts. Yeah, I think um, you can probably uh, attest to this. But, but as far as, like, who, which of the M starters you're, you're really paying attention to in terms of, of, of consequence, um, I think it's, it's probably yeah. – Sheffield, Kikuchi, mm-hmm. Dunn, Marco, you know, Graveman's in there whenever he's healthy. But, but yeah, I would go, I would go Sheffield number one because that's a guy I actually really do still think has potential number two, number three level ability. And then I would go Kikuchi because I really think, you know, if the stuff uptick is real, that's, that's a good pitcher there. Graveman obviously has intrigued us with, with how he's reacted and come back from Tommy John. And then, uh, after that, the last three, Dunn, uh, Walker, and Marco, you know what you're going to get with Marco. Justin Dunn, I'm obviously not bullish on, as I've alluded to in the beginning of this uh, uh, podcast. And then, um, obviously, Walker, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of aging out of, of, of that position where you're going to expect some sort of leap forward. Let's talk about Justin Sheffield. Uh, the outing against Colorado was by far the best in his major league career. He was he was really really solid. Seven strikeouts, no walks, over six innings. Sixty eight percent of his at bats first pitch strikes. Uh, fastball was working. Changeup was working. That was the problem in his first start. Just couldn't mm-hmm. locate throw strikes. Uh, and then once once he gets ahead and counts, that slider that that we've talked about that's that's an out pitch uh, was on full display. Yeah, I mean, you said it. The most important stat you mentioned there when you were mentioning his line was um, no walks. I mean, yep. that that really is as simple as it is for him. He has to – his stuff is good enough. He gets a ton of ground balls off that two-seamer. He's using that two-seamer well. He strikes out – he has an out – he has a certified out pitch with that slider, and the changeup is coming along to be a, a good enough pitch to keep guys just from sitting either fastball or slider. So he has the full repertoire to be a really good pitcher. It really does come down to him with how well he can locate the ball in the strike zone. And if he can do it, 
he's good. If he can't, he's, he's probably a reliever, you know? So it's that, honestly, I would say I'd be happier when I'm watching the box score or when I'm watching a Justice Sheffield start. I'm more concerned about how many first pitch strikes he has, how many three ball counts he has, how many walks he's given up rather than how many runs has he given up over how many innings, what's his ERA. Cause those to me, those will come around. I'm, but the, the command stuff is what still is the concern with Sheffield. Yeah. And I think he, he looks in good shape. I, I would characterize him as, as maybe doughy when he first, first got to mm-hmm. Seattle and, and mm-hmm. he's certainly a, a much more athletic looking dude. Yeah. He slimmed down quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Justin Dunn, um, a guy we don't really talk a lot, who's, you know, kind of a, a prospect. He's 24 years old, came back in, in, of course, the Robinson Cano deal. He had a, a nice start last night in terms of, of success. I mean, he got through six innings, mm-hmm. um, you know, got got the win, looked, looked solid, but he he's just doesn't seem to me like a guy who can overpower a batter. That's doesn't, exactly doesn't really, right. Can't miss bats. Like, if he's going to get through six innings, it's, it's kind of through, through craft. Yeah, he. I mean, he's got. That's exact. That's exactly how I would characterize him. His stuff is like lifeless. You know, he sits yeah. ninety to ninety-two with very little movement. His slider, which was you know advertised as the out pitch, has showed to be not even major league average. And then obviously the command is way below average. So at that point, if you don't have the stuff and you don't have the command, what what are you really as a pitcher? To me, he was a guy who I was very excited about coming up, and I just. I'm pretty just to be honest, you know, we talk a lot of good things with the Mariners. That's probably the guy I'd be, I'd say I'm most disappointed with so far this season. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, not a lot to be desired. And even, even last night, I mean, that, that Texas lineup is horrible. Bad, very bad. Horrible. Um, So to, to kind of just scrape through six nice innings against them and strike out two people, it's it's a nice it's a good thing for him he's got to do more of that but i mean at the, at the new texas park which is not not the band box that that no. uh that the in fact it's 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 the opposite it's actually relatively pitcher friendly yeah so so i mean that i mean that that is one of the worst it that reminds me of like the the 2008 or 9 mariners lineup just in terms of mm-hmm. like there's multiple guys hitting below, below 200 <laughs> Um, no, no I think their GM is John Daniels, but man, what, you know how we always rag on Heyman for doing the, what is the plan with the Mariners? But no. what is the plan with the Rangers? You know, the, not a great farm system at all. You know, really good pitching, actually. Lance Lynn, Mike Miner, uh, even Gibson. I know he didn't show well last night, but he's good. They have very good pitching, but the offense is atrocious. Elvis Andrews is, is very bad. I mean, I guess they have Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who's, who's a good utility guy. But other than that, and and Gallo obviously Joey Gallo is quite good. Uh, where where are they? Yeah, it's, it's really strange. They they seem to be a team kind of in in plunged in mediocrity um, as as are the Mariners. If you take the, this season in the silo, but uh, obviously it's a team trending up. Not really mm-hmm. the case in Texas, and I would say probably not even the case really with with the Angels, um, who have certainly spent leaps and bounds more money than, than mm-hmm. Mariners have to make this team more competitive uh, and are not seeing a ton of results. And Joe Adele is, is obviously a piece that the Mariners would love to have. That's, that's a, you know, a, a five-star type of guy, but haven't really seen it from him yet. So I know we're going to talk about Evan White a little later, but if I could just say one thing in regards to Joe Adele and Evan White, uh, 
Joe Adele right now is striking out over 50% of the time. Uh, Evan White is also striking out a lot, and he's not, you know, I think his average is like 110, 115, one whatever, 120. 13. But, yeah, 113, whatever. Um, the, the deal is Evan White came straight up from double A, at least Adele, who is this, you know, top two, top three, top five prospect in all of Major League Baseball, he had time at double A, he had time at triple A, and now you see him come up and face Major League pitching, and he's striking out over 50% of the time, and his batting average is in the hundreds as well. It's not easy to make the jump, and I think we're being a little too harsh to Evan White because we expect a Kyle Lewis type of, uh, type of debut from everybody now, where the fact of the matter is most guys struggle the way Evan White is struggling at least through their first 150, 200 plate appearances. Let's just go ahead and talk about Evan White. We're going to do him in the third out and then talk about the bullpen. But I think, I think we, can, we can just skip the bullpen. We'll talk about them yeah. when, we, when there's a little bit more of a sample there from, from some of the guys like Joey, Joey Gerber, um, Eric Swanson, et cetera. So let's, let's Another get... guy who came into camp looking very trim. You know, he was Agreed. kind of doughy as well. And now he's – and a lot more life on his fastball. You know, those, those Eric's with K's as the – the hard sound <laughs> such hard workers. Um, so skipping out to, to talk about Evan White, um, a guy who I think is instantly lovable, right? This is a guy mm-hmm. that, that is not, that is, uh, an easy prospect to, to, uh, to fawn over. He, uh, as Aaron Goldsmith called to, to Jerry DePoto in, in uh, kind of a fanciful ways is, is a billboard guy, just a, a smile that light that, you know, really lights up, seems to, to be just, mired in this horrible slump i had all my notes from last week ready to go and all of his numbers that i had to update went down uh yeah. he has a higher strikeout percentage than kyle lewis does who we've talked about has a uh, big k problem batting 113 batting 06 if, if i can just say something about lewis though have you noticed the the strikeouts in the last week or two have you started to get a little bit of a of a rain on that problem it's it is it is nice we'll talk about kyle lewis yeah. i think I, I, uh, at some point here i'm sure yeah. but uh, Evan White is hitting 061 on fastballs this year with a WR- and that's, yeah. WRC plus of seven. And Phil, since 1980, there have been 166 rookie first basemen. Okay. Where does Evan White rank in terms of WRC plus among those 166 rookie first basemen? I'm going to guess 165th. Uh, minus one. He is at the very bottom. Oh, no. List. Um, obviously it's, I was going to say it's a long season, not necessarily the case this year. Um, my question to you, cause, cause you, you said it earlier, he made the jump from double A to, to major leagues. That, that's, that's no small feat. It's, it's rare. In fact, uh, for a player to do that, this is going to take a while. Why is this different though, where when hindsight was 2020, we got to look back on Mike Zanino and say he came along in the minor leagues way too fast. Is that can we apply that same logic to Evan White or first base catcher? That's just apples and oranges. I, I, no, I think it's a, I think it's a fair comparison actually. But the only problem is Evan White. He doesn't have the luxury of going to AAA this year. There are circumstances, you know, where that was, whatever that was going to be the plan for him, regardless. Though this this year was it. Like, it was, and I wish that. Uh, you know, if we could see him struggle, I wish we could see him go back down to AAA for a while and figure things out. But at this point, we kind of just have to let him take his licks at the major league level because getting at-bats in the major leagues is a lot better for his development than whatever is going on in Tacoma right now. And I know they're playing some sort of simulated games, but it does not replicate 
real life at bats. And uh, if, if in a perfect world with no coronavirus and the minor leagues are fully functioning, I would be okay with maybe sending him down to catch his breath for a while. But at this point, I, 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 could, I would just really strongly recommend against that because you need the guy to continue to get competitive real bats, which he cannot get in AAA this year, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a tricky thing. I mean, he, I think, if 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 we're we're diagnosing his problem, it's it's he's not even making contact with the ball. He his forty two percent of his his swings are whiffs, eighteen percent mm-hmm. higher than the rest of the the league. I mean that that number tracks inside the zone, outside the zone. He is just so cannot. Here's find the it. here's the other thing I'll say about the Zanino comparison. Evan White in Double A was pretty much a complete hitter. He didn't strike out a ton. He hit the ball hard. You know, he hit uh, – he didn't whiff a ton. We didn't see any of those glaring red marks on his resume like we did with Zanino. I believe even when Zanino was coming up, he was still striking out 30%-something percent of the time, even in, in the minors, which is, is, is something you'd ideally want to clean up down there. Evan White, you never really saw that with him. He, he, was, he was doing about as well as could be expected. I, again, we've talked about Dickie Stevens Park, the double-A – park for the Mariners being a, a place that kind of suppresses numbers. Mm. We saw it with Kyle Lewis. We uh, saw it with Evan White, obviously, all those guys down in double A. But he had the resume that would tell you, hey, maybe this guy is is ready to take a leap. Whereas Zanino, it was just, oh, this is your number one prospect in the organization. Let's just bring him up. Um, is this a good idea? I don't know. It's going to remain to be seen. Am I worried yet? Probably won't be worried until this sort of lasts into, you know, the quarter pole of next year. Uh, you know, that's just where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. And part of this, I mean, with the, with the deal that he signed, the, the, the idea was that, you know, right now he's being, for, for his production, safe to say he's being overpaid. Uh, yeah. it, the, the goal is for the, for the, by, the back end of that, by the back half of that contract for it to be the opposite. So, um, he has a while to figure this out. That's, that's clear. And the the, the opportunity cost of, of playing Evan White every day at first base is playing Vogel back at first base. Like there, there's mm-hmm. just not uh, another option there. So it's uh, and the option we have at first base is amazing. I mean, he is a Gold Glove defender day one. You know, mm-hmm. he he really is. And I don't know. I have not even looked at his defensive run saved or any of those ultimate zone rating metrics for Evan White. I, I, I can imagine that they're not uh, like we've talked about. I can imagine that they're, they're a little bit incongruous with what we're seeing with our eyes. But again, those, those, um, those metrics take a while to stabilize and first base, especially for those metrics is sort of a black box. Still, we're really good at figuring out, you know, outfield defense. That's pretty easy. We're really good at figuring out shortstops. How far can they range this way? How far can they range that way? How far can they range coming in first baseman? I don't really know if there's a great way to, uh, 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 you know, analytically determine how hard was that pick to make? How, how many first basemen make that pick there? How many first basemen lunge at just the right time to get the guy by half a step? How many first basemen, you know, have this – have you seen him put down a tag on a pickoff? How many first basemen do that? And how – you know, how so maybe that keeps the guy an extra foot closer to the bag and the catcher can throw him out a little bit easier when he tries to seal second. I don't know if there's a good analytical, you know, basis for those types of things that we're seeing with our eyes. So I'm just going to take 
first base defense with what I'm seeing with my eyes and obviously what you're seeing with your eyes, what DePoto's saying with his eyes, we all agree unanimously. He is, you know, uh, special, a stellar first baseman. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point because a lot of the, um, the, 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 the notes or the, the, uh, the metrics that, that come about in, and we'll talk about this in just a second of like where, where defensive metrics come from. They are the product of, uh, probabilities of how hard this ball was hit, uh, his situation, how often did this guy make or does that position make that play? And first base just doesn't have the same amount of plays that come to it in the same way that shortstop does or the right mm-hmm. fielder does, you know. So it's it is a different different kind of world. But Fangraphs as of as of speaking has him as the tenth uh tenth in their kind of unified metric there um for for defensive um first baseman in, in the league. And to me, I mean I, I can't say that I have studied every all 30 first basemen in the major leagues this year, but from my experience of watching baseball and I've watched a lot of it, I've never seen a better first baseman than Evan White. Yeah. He's uh he's Chapman on the other side of the infield um, yeah. in terms of, of athletic ability translating to, to just getting balls. Um, and the good thing about White, you, we saw yesterday going back to his bat a little bit, even though he's mired in this horrible slump, he legged out an infield single. How many first basemen can say they can do that? You know, those types of little things over the course of the season will help him even when he's struggling. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's turning singles to doubles and things that, you know, yeah. we've uh, there's been multiple first basemen throughout the years that are the type of guy to hit something off the wall, and you see them round into first <laughs> when, when yeah. the when fans back to him. So he's a different cloth. Quick uh, stump PS here. Um, are you ready? Just out of nowhere. All right, we'll hop back in. Uh, okay. So we we lost each other, Phil, as I was trying to grill you on um, which uh, which Mariners first baseman of yesteryear never played minor league baseball. Okay. You've, you've so had, I said I said Daiholi. Difficulty break to think about it. You said Daiholi, which is technically true, but this is a domestic product. Okay, so I had a chance to think over our little break. And I'm going to say John Olerudin. Before you tell me if that's yes or no, I just want to give you my, uh, my rationale for this. Okay. Olerudin College at WSU was far and away one of the best college baseball players of all time, both as a pitcher and a hitter. So I feel like if anybody could skip through the minor leagues entirely, it'd be him. John Olerud was so good that uh, he joined the Toronto Blue Jays major league club immediately out of college. You are correct. Yes. Uh, so if you are as good as John Olerud was, one day we'll have to do a whole podcast on how good Olerud was. He, he was, was quite amazing. And he was a great uh, – speaking defensively like we just were about Evan White, he was a great first baseman as well. Yeah. Where did he go? He, I know he ended up playing with the Mets after, after us. Yeah, there's a funny story about uh, him and Ricky Henderson uh, together. Have you heard that one? No, but so uh, Ricky Henderson and John Olerud played together, I believe, on the Mets. I believe on the Mets, in, and and then on the O one Mariners. So then they came over to the O one Mariners together, and Olerud goes to Ricky Henderson, and they had played a full year together in New York. And Olerud goes and says hi to Ricky Henderson, and Henderson says, "Who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> I have heard the story. Yeah, yeah. Ricky, Ricky after playing a full year together. Yeah, there's there's a podcast about. Uh, one of Ricky Henderson's last, like when he when he tried to play in the minors when he was just like way too old. Um, it's a really good podcast. I think ESPN Thirty for Thirty did the podcast that just has like 
he was doing like audio interviews after games. So they just have a ton of audio of him after these games in the minors when he's like 45 years old. So talking about unbreakable records, uh, with the way baseball is going and the analytics movement, uh, you know, and kind of showing us that stealing might not be as effective as what, you know, we once thought it was in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, no one will ever come close to Ricky Henderson's stolen base record. Eventually someone will break, you know, the DiMaggio hit streak and all that stuff. There will never be another player who steals as many bases as Ricky Henderson. That's just, it's just not going to happen. No, because Ricky was adept at base stealing, but also incredible at getting on base. Mm -hmm. Billy Hamilton was our best shot at the base stealing part of it, but just dude couldn't find first base. Yeah, it'd be like you having Billy Hamilton with the on-base skills of uh, like uh, the current iteration of J.P. Crawford, you know, where they're on base all the time and stealing at a super high clip. Exactly. Yeah, and in the analytics uh, – non-enlightened in, in environment which there are few of or fewer of than certainly when ricky was playing uh let's get a little smarter phil and talk about defensive stats um defensive metrics are are tough um they're tough for me i'll say that uh, they are probably they're tough for tough. everyone they're tough for even the guys who make them because yeah, they're so exactly. yeah yeah it's, go ahead it's just not as as uh intuitive and simple as as uh it is with with offensive stats which are very much you know pitch hit yes no mm-hmm. you know they're just iterations they're binary that. those are sort of binary decisions did he get the hit did he not get the hit whereas mm-hmm. defense is so much more great and so if you're trying to assess how good of a defensive second baseman shed long is you have to first uh assess how good any second baseman is basically ever to set a baseline and then whether or not shed long can make a play on any given play and that only tells you how good Shed Long was at making plays that season and not necessarily how good of a second baseman he is and doesn't account for the things that you were talking about uh, with Evan White about how he makes picks and things like that. So, so the good not- news with that is we do have the computing power now in mm-hmm. this day and age to accurately take into account every ball that has been hit in the past to every player that looks just like that one. So, so that's one huge part of the equation out of the way. Definitely. And so, so that's about as good as we can do. And what it leads to is a lot of uh, fun defensive metric stats that um, all, a lot of them have Zs in them, which makes them even more yeah. fun. Like uh, <laughs> Biz, RZR, uh, Ooze is a stat. I mean, these, these are really fun to say. I, you know, I, to be honest, I'm not even familiar with a couple of those. I don't know what they mean, but yeah. what, what do you look at when obviously eye test is, is very, very important for all of this. But if you're looking to, to quantify defensive metrics, uh, where do you go and what are you looking for? So let's start with uh, something that happened last year. It was a fight between me and Shannon Dreyer on Twitter. <laughs> um because she had said domingo santana looks is so great in right field compared to left field and actually the outfield is a pretty good place to be sure about those defensive metrics because they're pretty much they're pretty easy in the outfield actually you just take the um stat cast on you know how fast the ball was hit what angle the ball was hit the exit velocity of the hit what uh what you know angle off the bat the ball was hit where the outfielder was positioned and then all you have to do is take you know out of so many instances where this has happened in the past this is the expected amount of guys who will make the catch this is the catch probability 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually a pretty easy uh, calculus in the outfield, at least. The infield gets a little weirder because there's hops you have to account for. You know, sure. things take trippy, tricky hops. And, and guys are, you know, with the shift, especially nowadays, everything kind of gets thrown out of whack there. But, um, you know, you have to – the outfield defense is actually a little bit easier to talk about so she was just going off complete eye test where, you know, he wasn't flubbing every other ball like he was in left field, but that still didn't make him a good right fielder. And you could tell because he took bad routes, he got bad jumps, and he wasn't fast enough to make up for the difference. Like, you have a guy like Mike, Mike Trout, who's not necessarily a burner by any means, but what he does is he takes immaculate jumps, or he gets immaculate jumps, and every route is just perfect to the ball, and that's why he's an above-average center fielder. So there's different ways to skin the cat to get to uh, uh, a position where you're an above-average defender, uh, at least in the outfield. Now, that's not to say that you know, the eye test doesn't matter at all. Like we just said with Evan White, there are times where you can say, hey, you have to contextualize all these stats, right? You can't just say, oh, look at this stat. That definitively tells me it's yes or no. It, it doesn't work quite like that. So that's why the analytics have to marry with your own eye. Yeah, so, so the, the Fangraphs uh, unified defensive metric is, is, a, is one. Obviously, Fangraphs is fantastic. They, they, they are, are really like – I have just started to stop using like ESPN. Like I'm not going there for stats. Yeah. It's all fan graphs. So it, it, yeah, it, I use fan graphs all the time as well. It has been a long time coming, but uh, they are fantastic. They've got it all for you there. Um, and the guy that, that comes out on top for the Mariners, at least defensively, and he's top five in all baseball at this point is JP Crocker, um, who if you just tune in, there was, there was, I think it was two nights ago I was watching him and it's just, all three plays in an, in an inning, I think when Sheffield was pitching, yes, two nights ago, uh, were him making plus plays to, that could have been could have been singles, um, you know, or or hard plays for shortstops to make that he makes look easy. I test back, but again, out. some of that might have to do with the big target over at first base, you know having the confidence to throw a little off balance because you know the guy's going to pick it, you know. So defensive stats are so much more interconnected than, than, than you know, pitcher v. hitter. Definitely. Uh, but he, he has made some plays that, um, and dating back to last year, he had the play that, it, that everyone can remember uh, with him. And he had one about a week ago where he made the flip to shed long uh, for that double play that was uh, off, off a dive that was, yeah. was phenomenal. The one that Shedlong said on Instagram or Twitter or something like, I don't know how you got that ball to me. Um, he he has, has is really fun to watch there. He's right behind um, our, our boy Matt Chapman uh, there in defensive, unified defensive metrics, uh, looking up a shortstop only to Marcus Simeon, uh, who's a well-established guy in that regard. So uh, Scott Services called him the point guard of the defense. I don't know if you saw this quote from Yusei Kikuchi about J.P. Crawford. It made me smile. Uh, he said – He always he always has good quotes. He said – Yusei Kikuchi just says adorable things. That's all he does. Uh, he said, J.P. always has my back. He always makes big plays behind me, and we have this great atmosphere because of those plays. I just think it's really great. Uh, <laughs> Yusei Kikuchi is like when you have like an earnest seven-year-old and, and you, ha- you like ask them to say something nice on a voicemail and they end up just melting your heart. Remember when he came to the Mariners and he said, um, I came to the Mariners because I felt like they needed me the most. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We, we needed a, a middling pitcher who can't. Yeah. <laughs> no, you say, you say he's on the up. Um, that's yeah, he, I, I, I believe in him. I think he's going to be just fine. 
Yeah. So, so J. But J. anyway, Crawford. that yeah. So to talk, get back to J.P. Crawford on that note. Uh, what we see defensively does marry with the eye test, right? He passes both of those, uh, both of those, you know, prerequisites to becoming, you know, someone we can say he's a good defender because if you just have the eye test, you turn into Derek Jeter, who, oh yeah, he made all those jump throws deep in the hole, blah blah blah. But then you look at, you know, a lot of shortstops were cutting those balls off planting on their back foot and firing a strike over to first anyway those throws while they looked nice and they made for a good eye test you really get the sense with the metrics that those plays weren't all that impressive and then on the other side you have these analytical darlings who you look and the and they and they flub like uh like uh, uh i'll give you an i can't think of an example right now but there are examples where you have a guy at, who's an analytics you know darling and and then to the average person like you or me, you just don't see it. And, and I don't, I don't think you'd be able to call that guy a good defender either. Yeah. And reputation proceeds. I mean, like the, where, where Matt Chapman is uh, defensively and where he's, he's built himself up over the last couple of years, even if I looked at the fan graph metrics and I didn't see him at the at near the top, Matt Chapman in my book, solid. I don't need to see anything else. I don't need, I don't need to check yeah. in on his stats. He's, he's an established quantity. And it's kind of like that with Evan White. Uh, at least to this point where like what we're seeing is, is more important and he will get there. Mm -hmm. um, if, if the rest of the league doesn't know, uh, they will soon about how good he is at that, at, at least uh, Manning first base, the rest of it. We'll see. Um, yeah. Let's move on to hydro and Eric Burns because we've, we've got a lot in here. We talked about most of the rotation yeah. uh, whites um, qu quality, not quantity in terms of breadth here, but uh, we got, we got weeks of this show. Uh, who was your yellow hydro of the last couple weeks? Yeah, so this would have to be covering over the span because we did miss last week. Basically all of all of August so far, yeah. Okay, and just to be clear, the first time I did it, it was Kendall Graveman for coming back from the uh, neck injury. And then he uh, – or coming back from the Tommy John, and then he had the neck injury. So I don't want to jinx this guy. <laughs> in the rotation, but I'm going to, I'm sure. But it, it's the guy we just talked about, Kikuchi. I, he had the most swing and misses, which for him, that is the key marker. That's how well his stuff is playing. And if he can continue to do that swing and miss, he can be everything we wanted in that rotation and more. And like I said, we have him for seven years. If we want him, that's a, that's, you know, that, that type of, production doesn't just grow on trees there's a reason notoriously at the deadline every single year teams are are, are trading for quality starting pitching it's because they're just as a dearth of it in the, in the league there's just not enough of it to go around so to have somebody like that and to have them potentially locked up for seven years where there's probably not a guy I'm rooting for harder right now than Kikuchi to succeed because that would be such a boon to the rebuild it'd be such a uh, a ringing endorsement of the pitching development program because they're doing, you know, this uh, sort of retailering of Kikuchi's arsenal. So it would mean a lot more than simply, oh, this guy's good. It would, it would be a statement type of thing for the organization. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's well said. He had a swinging strike rate of the in that second start that we talked about. That was that was just phenomenal uh, of nineteen percent. It's been closer yeah. to eight, eight or nine. Yeah. Um, so it, it literally doubled in that second start. I've I've loved the thing he's started to do on on uh, on strikeouts where he just slaps his thigh. Um, it's it's yeah because uh, they don't throw the ball around anymore. So now he just slaps it and gets the ball back. 
That is very true. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good, you can tell that he has higher confidence in his ability than, than he did uh, last year. And so he's, he's pissed when he's missing pitches. And it seems like the game is, is uh, coming easier to him um, in these last couple starts. Um, I, a, a couple Kyles here. First of all, the, me and the other Kyle Lewis normies um, that uh, are continuing to see our, our box score stats uh, make us happy with Kyle Lewis. Three-run dinger last night. Um, has has not fallen back to earth too hard. Obviously, the the the, the crazy batting average that we saw at the beginning of the year has has fallen down a little bit, but um, looks and that's obviously to be expected. You know, you can't run that high of a batting average, and you know, like we've talked about in the past on previous Let's Get Smarter, is the Babbitt thing. He was running like a six hundred Babbitt. It's just never going to happen for any player ever. You know, as much as I wish it would, but it doesn't. Yeah, he is. He's still looking solid, um, and like you said, alluded to earlier, the uh, the strikeout rate is is flattening a little bit, which is which is encouraging. And then the other Kyle, um, a guy who probably doesn't get enough credit um, in in Mariners lore, uh, yeah, really really one of the only homegrown drafted uh, from college all the way through, made it to an All Star players that the M's have had since 2000 and it's it, I, he might be the only one actually I'm, I'm saying it out loud and he does get lost in the shuffle of you know the new and the young but he is putting up a really good season so far he just just hit his 200th homer uh 201 last night with with the grand slam he's just a he's he's a pro we talked about last year how he got hot when he had to like physically attractive hot uh, <laughs> <laughs> retooled his body uh to have a longer career um, and to have this this long career and, and to, to keep trying this hard when he's 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 paid for for this year and, and many years to come, uh, it's a rebuilding team. He could have easily mailed it in. That has not been the case with him. And uh, and it's not like he's gaining anything either. It's, no. He's not playing for a contract. Certainly, he's not, he's, got, really, he's not even really playing to get traded because that's not no really a possibility. He's he's uh he's just simply at this point playing for the love of the game. Because, you know, this is this was his big contract. This will be his last big contract. He won't ever get another. So he really has nothing else to gain, but he still has pride and he's a professional. And I think that's something we could all admire to be, you know. Even when there's nothing to gain, still I'll go out and work hard. Yeah, I texted you this, but Kyle Seeger just seems like the type of guy who would never win like a league MVP or, or you know, be a, a six-time All-Star, but just a guy who would definitely start for – 24 other teams basically his entire career uh and could have won like a world series mvp just, just consistently above so consistent. average. yeah yeah and one of my favorite years in mariners ever was when he cano and, and cruz all went 30 and 100 uh yep. i think there was our senior year at college that had something to do with it too but yeah kyle seager all out stud um and we are we are lucky to have him wish wish we could have gotten to a playoff series but we didn't bring it up, but the M's are only a game out of the playoff race as of. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring it up, but honestly, is it worth mentioning? Because, like, we're still not a good team, you know, and, and we're not going to be a good team for a while. So, the, to me, whether or not they squeak into this weird playoff format or not is sort of inconsequential. I'm looking more towards when things start to normalize again. To the hydro, uh, my first hydro is to America's collective long-term planning abilities um, because we uh, have collectively, at least in the college sports arena, um, been well aware of a project that was due uh, in September yeah. and uh, just started looking at it a couple weeks before before it was due. Knowing and now they've, they're failing the project. 
Exactly. Um, so that's one thing. My other one is uh, we talk about the wheelhouse often. First of all, it was fantastic to have it back. Uh, mm-hmm. This is, of course, the Jerry DePoto, Aaron Goldsmith, uh, and Gary Hill now podcast um, that the Mariners put out there, which is just awesome that it exists. However, I did take issue with one part of it in where uh, Goldsmith was talking to DePoto about how, you know, this year's team is really uh, aggressive on the base, base pass and very fast and very athletic. And um, has this always been the vision essentially for, for the type of team you wanted to make? Um, and DePoto based, said to the effect of, we, what we wanted that to be the vision in 2016. And I was, I'm like, how was that the vision? Well, yeah, the with team, Cruz and Cano. And, a team built around Kyle Seeger, uh, Nelson Cruz, and Robinson Cano. Granted, you had uh, uh, what was his name? The the Leonis Martin. Uh, led yeah, well, stolen bases. You know, I guess I guess he was. But with those three guys path. clogging up the base paths, there's no way you could make that. So that that was that was it. Fe- it kind of felt like he was trying to say that like we've always wanted an athletic team, but we had these big slow like oafs before. But it's yeah. like. I don't, I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, I don't either. And that's more DePoto PR speak, you know, snake oil salesman type stuff, which he gets, you know, criticized for. But at the end of the day, I really do appreciate how he uh, has a transparent and open front honest office, at least. Yeah, I, th- I think DePoto in general is less snake oil and just he says a lot of words. And so we're able to hold him accountable to things in a way that we are not able to – with other GMs because they're more closed off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was, that was one thing I took issue, but uh, long-term planning definitely more so than, than that quote. Who's taking your bike ride of the week? I mean, this one's easy to me. It's Daniel Vogelbach. He, so the thing with guys like Vogelbach who have basically one skill set, one sort of thing that they're really good at, when they stop being good at that thing, it gets really, really ugly, really, really fast. And we are seeing that with him. He is – and I sat through the 2011 Mariners, which had one of the statistically worst offenses of all time. I don't think I've ever seen a professional player that is worse than this iteration of Daniel Vogelbach. I'm not saying he's going to be like this forever, but he can't run. He can't hit. He can't field. What is this guy doing? What And – it looks like he he doesn't want to swing the bat. He does. I, it's he's the most frustrating guy I think I've ever watched on a baseball field. Something happened mentally because even yeah, like an energy wise, it just doesn't feel like it's the same guy that we saw last year. Uh, something did happen of, mentally with something him. like the the you know the most lovable guy on the team just kind of doesn't feels more distant, and maybe that's just how he feels on the team. But this is a guy who made. It, to to make matters worse or to make matters weirder from everything you just say, said, he made an all-star team last year. And granted, he was the token M, like someone had to make it. But, but he was still he was still a great player. He was uh, those, those, he was so productive in, in how he worked at bats and how he hit for power. And it, like there, there was a piece there and now there is nothing. Nothing there. There is not a single redeeming quality about his on. I, he's a lovely guy. He's a lovable guy. But on field, there is not a single redeeming quality right now. Yeah, we uh, we we broached the question last week, did or two weeks ago. Does does Daniel Vogelback suck? And uh, we are, I think, much closer to that answer in the negatives this week than than we are. Yeah, it's a shame, but you know it happens. You turn through players. 
it's true. But uh, for a guy that we once thought was the DH of the future, um, that, uh, that stings a little. But uh, what can you do? Phil, this was great. We're back in the horse. Um, what's, uh, what's on the menu this week? What, what, can, what can folks expect? When they're well, here's what I want to say, and I, I told you at the beginning, I don't know uh, if anyone who's listening to this has come into the restaurant recently, but I do want to say things have started to pick up again for us after, you know, what was really just – the most horrific probably two month period of being a business owner I've ever experienced. And granted that hasn't been a, 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 a 50 year run, but uh, yeah. it, 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 it was the most horrific two months with a lot of, of scares and a lot of worrying about the future. And we're sort of starting to see little signs of recovery. So if you have been part of that recovery in any sort of way, shape or form, I can't thank you enough. And if you haven't been able to get back in yet, uh, or you know you're still sort of uh, not ready to dine out for you know a multitude of reasons, whether that be you know the climate of I, I don't even want to get into it or the coronavirus or whatever. Uh, when things do settle down, I I do hope to see you back in and 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 we'll, and now I can confidently say we will be there. You know we will be ready to 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 welcome you back in. Well, I, for one, cannot wait to uh, be able to come home, first of all, uh, and then when I do come home to enjoy uh, an old-fashioned at, uh, at Intermezzo. Nothing, nothing yeah. sounds better uh, than, than that, my friend. Uh, well, I wish you the best, and I, I hope that things continue to, to progress in the, on the restaurant side. This is Fano. We'll be back next week. Um, probably not with our, our, our special guest, Aubrey Huff, but... Uh, Maybe. Boy, damn it, we tried. We'll have to see. Give him the rest of the night. Like you said, he's sleeping right now. That's true. Uh, all right, Phil. Uh, be well, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care.